Well, uh, this morning I have an apology to give. I do not have a PowerPoint. <sighs> I know. We're going back in time. I never used to do PowerPoints. Uh, honest to goodness, I never used to. Um, and then uh, the pastor at our last church, he was a big PowerPoint guy. Uh, and then we got a different pastor at our last church, and he just took it from this level, like way up here. And so then I'm like, well, PowerPoints are a good thing. So I apologize. Um, I will try to speak clearly. <laughs> uh, thankfully, uh, the sound system seems to be doing okay and uh, holding, holding fast here. And so um, if you need to hear me uh, more, either come closer to me or to the speakers, all right? Um, yeah, and then also uh, directly following the, the message, we'll take communion together. Um, and so uh, go ahead and have that ready as well. I, I think I see the basket back there at the door. So if you, if you still need that, it's there. So uh, we're continuing this morning in our series called Saving Power. We only have, I think, one more week after this, one or two more weeks. It's crazy. But we, we've been taking a closer look specifically at Matthew chapters 8 and 9, uh, where we see stories of real people who really did encounter a real Jesus, uh, uh, not just, you know, our friend Jesus from down the road, but a real Jesus Christ in the flesh 2,000 years ago, uh, and his uh, mighty power to save them from the places that they were in. Last week, we learned that Jesus willingly meets the broken to make them whole. And looking at the witness of the woman with an issue of blood, we saw that her ultimate desperation inspired trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ to completely heal her brokenness. And in that place, Jesus' word saved her. He encouraged the woman, saying that her faith is what healed her. And after Jesus spoke those words, the woman was, in fact, healed completely. A brokenness that had siloed her away from her family and her community for 12 years. And was, it was cured in the middle of a bustling street in Capernaum. But this event uh, ultimately was an interruption, believe it or not, uh, on Jesus' journey to deliver a synagogue leader's daughter from the hands of death. So this morning we're going to complete that story of, uh, you know, from the day, uh, a day in the life of Jesus. And so the title for today's message is Revival. Revival, our main passage is Matthew 9, verses 18 through 19 and 23 through 26. The big idea that we're going to be exploring together today is that Jesus can deliver us from death. Jesus can deliver us from death. Now, I will never forget, there was this one time uh, early on in my daughter Maggie's life, I I didn't 
confirm with Angie about the timeline because that, that's kind of a fuzzy time of life for me. But I think she was between 15 months and two years. I, I can't remember exactly which. But there was this one night where she just got um, so ill. She was in a bad way. She was, I think she spiked a fever. Um, there was nothing we could do at that time to really help her. We had tried different homeopathic uh, remedies because that's kind of our, our jam. That's what we like to uh, attempt before other things. Uh, we also tried some different over-the-counter medicine like Tylenol, um, but nothing seemed to help. It was just, it was, it had its grip. And so I'm usually a pretty even-keeled person. Um, maybe a little too even-keeled sometimes, but, you know, I I'm typically that way. But in this moment, in that night, I was freaked out. I, I was beside myself. I, I don't normally just, I just, I was out of my mind a little bit. And so we ended up driving Maggie up to Vancouver because we had just moved to Vancouver. But as true millennial fashion at the time, uh, we hadn't established any health care yet. Um, and so uh, also it was 8 o'clock at night. And so we ended up going to the, the Peace Health emergency room in uptown Vancouver. And in that place, I felt so powerless. And I was so scared for my little girl. It turned out, uh, as is normally the case with young parents, she just had a flu bug. Uh, that just wasn't letting go. Uh, and Maggie ended up being dehydrated, and so with the help of doctors and an IV drip, Maggie was well on her way to recovery. Um, I, I hadn't experienced a, a great amount of loss in my life up to that point. And I've actually, I'm not trying to boast um, because I don't want to end up like Job or anything, but... Uh, I've been fortunate that I haven't had a ton of loss in my life, and I recognize that that's kind of a unique thing. Um, and yet, even still, I was scared to death that I was going to lose my baby girl. Now today, she's 10 and a half and going, and she is doing fine. She's full of sass and full of life and vigor. Uh, and we've learned a lot of lessons along the way as parents. Um, and my greatest hope for all of my kids is that they would go on to love Jesus with all that they've got and live good, meaningful lives. I don't know what all that looks like yet, uh, but I know one thing's for sure, though, that eventually one day they will pass on and leave this world behind. There's that old saying that goes... The only two certain things in life are death and taxes. And ain't that the truth? <laughs> On both fronts. I mean, taxes, they're coming. No matter who you are or what you believe, we all have to deal with mortality in the end. For some of us here today, we have had to endure the loss of family and friends. Some have gone as, you know, they should, uh, you know, as time permits and, you know, they live a long, full life. Uh, some have been taken prematurely from us. And no matter if you're rich or poor, we all face the same experience 
of passing from this existence into what lies beyond. So even though people are dying every day, and it's a universal human experience, this makes me wonder, what does the Bible have to say about death? What does Jesus have to say about this cold, hard fact reality that we all experience and even he experienced? And is there anything that can be done to free us from this condition, this situation? I believe that when we look at our passage today, we will find that Jesus can deliver us from death and that that is one incredible claim, one that I believe to be true because I trust who Jesus is and I believe uh, he can do uh, that abundantly in yours and my life today. Now, throughout Jesus' time in Capernaum, uh, we witness recorded in the pages of the Bible stories of the good that Jesus spread through his teaching and his healing ministries, like the little girl that we're about to read about in Matthew chapter 9. So without further ado, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 9, Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. While he was saying this, pause for a moment, Jesus was talking to his disciples at dinner. So while Jesus was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing their pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. The first thing I see in our passage is that we see faith for life in the face of death. Faith for life in the face of death. There are a couple of interesting details that I see in our passage. First is that up until this point in the Gospel of Matthew, because we've been on this journey for a while, Jesus had healed many different people with many different types of ailments. And while all of them have shown us up until this point Jesus' supernatural anointing in his power and authority to heal, every single one of those who had encountered Jesus had been a living patient, the best kind. 
This was the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus would use his saving power to minister to a dead person. It would happen a total of three times. But, um, but this is the first. Another interesting detail is that in Jewish culture, touching a dead body was the most defiling kind of uncleanness that someone could experience. While other unclean factors may have been the result of or a reference to the effects of sin and death, a dead body was the ultimate physical reminder of the fall and contact with a dead body or with someone who had touched a dead body would instantly make you ceremonially unclean for seven days until you had completed the purification rites. And if you didn't do that, then you were cut off from the people. Very serious business. Now, number three. Now, what's most interesting to me about this scene is that in this man's grief, and desperation, this synagogue ruler came to Jesus and bowed before him. This was an act of faith. This was an act of worship. And this man recognized ultimately something in Jesus that was beyond anything or anyone that he had ever encountered. He wasn't able to heal his daughter. He wasn't able to provide, you know, the means, being a synagogue ruler, being higher in society. He wasn't able to make things happen and to get her the medicine she needed. She died, and he's powerless, and he comes to Jesus, and he recognizes, Jesus, there's something in you that can help my girl. Now, throughout his ministry, Jesus had shown himself to be compassionate and kind, able and willing, with power and authority. And news about Jesus had already spread by this point in Capernaum. So having just faced his daughter's death, this man didn't have time really to exhaust his other resources after the death. And instead he went straight to the feet of Jesus in faith, believing in the one who was brave enough to go to unclean places, unlike the, the scribes and the Pharisees and other people who would say, no way, I'm not going near a dead person. He went to unclean places. He was powerful enough, you know, beyond the natural order. And surely Jesus would be able to bring his daughter back to life. The synagogue ruler had faith for life in the face of death. His faith was not placed in some kind of a pipe dream. It was placed on a person, and that person was Jesus Christ. And if you were in this man's position, would you resign yourself to the reality of death? It comes to us all. Or would you reach out in faith, believing that there is a God who wants to restore life in the here and now? The truth is that Jesus can deliver us from death. Will we put feet to our faith 
and go to Jesus with the dead stuff in our lives like this man. Literal or otherwise, the message is clear. Jesus is approachable and he is able to heal and to deliver even from death. Will we go to him? The second thing I see in our passage is that death does not get the final word. Death does not get the final word. Jesus, uh, I love Matthew's description. Even in the other accounts, I think it, it points this out. Jesus was a non-anxious presence. He had a good bedside manner. In the middle of all the chaos and all the commotion along the way to go and revive this young girl, internally, maybe the synagogue ruler was panicked like I was when Maggie had spiked her fever in the hospital, right? But instead of letting that panic spin him out, at least we don't have those details in, in recorded in Scripture, instead of letting that spin him out into a full-on meltdown, he went in faith to Jesus, believing that Jesus could do the impossible. And Jesus was not panicked. He simply rose with his disciples and went with the man. Why? Because in this passage, I see that there's a contrast between the touch of death and the touch of Jesus. The touch of death was the reason that the man had come to Jesus in the first place. It took the life of his daughter. And the touch of Jesus is what he believed would bring her back to life. Just lay your hand on my daughter and she will live. And both of these touches carry with them some level of physical impact. But where they differ is that the touch of death usually produces some kind of permanent static state of being, which is what we call dead. Death literally stops the continuance of life. But the touch of Jesus seems to interrupt that reality with something completely extraordinary. It restores an active state of being. The touch of Jesus takes what was once dead and makes it come alive again. So when Jesus arrives with his disciples to the house, there was a large crowd of musicians there and mourners were there, uh, which they were commanded in, in their interpretation of the law to provide at least two flautists and at least, I think, one mourner. How crazy is that? But, you know, we have crazy traditions too. Anyway, so there's this huge crowd there because this is a synagogue ruler, respectable guy in the area, musicians and mourners, they're there. They are gathered to grieve the loss of this girl. And it was there that Jesus confronted them in verse 24 where it says, let's read this, go away. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Jesus is just so cutthroat, to the point. Here we go. The girl is not dead, but asleep. Now, when we read that statement, we don't really find Jesus denying the reality of death and the death of this girl, do we? I don't think so. There's, you know, commentators, they kind of, they oscillate back and forth between this. 
What I see happen in our text is that Jesus is challenging the assumption that this girl's death is permanent. By speaking out the contrast between death and sleep, we get the idea that this is not the end of the girl's story in this life. In that place, in that moment, death was not going to get the final word over this family, over this girl. Restored life was going to define this encounter, not death. But instead of responding in faith like the synagogue ruler, they just laughed at Jesus and mocked the idea that there could be any other reality than what they were facing. The truth is that Jesus can deliver us from death. The only question is, in that place of death and dying, will you find yourself believing the word of Jesus, or will you find yourself spinning out in disbelief? Jesus wanted the crowd to know then, and he wants you and I to know this morning, that death does not get the final word. Jesus does. And that's good news. Because Jesus can deliver us from death. Now, the third thing I see is that Jesus brings new life from dead places. Jesus brings new life from dead places. Once the crowd cleared away, Jesus went into the unclean home and touched the hand of the unclean dead girl and brought her out, fully restored to life. And the word got out. Now, the conditions of the story are simple, ultimately. They rest squarely on this man's faith in Jesus' power and authority to save and ultimately raise the dead. It's interesting to me that in both cases in our passage, Jesus' righteousness and cleanness is greater than the uncleanness of those he touched. And instead of the impurity infecting him and transferring to him and defiling him, Jesus' life-giving, saving power made the unclean clean and restored life. Now, the testimony of Jesus quietly delivering this girl from her dead place. He didn't say any word that's recorded in Matthew. He just took her hand and brought her out. He quietly delivered this girl from her dead place, and it was dramatic, and it was clear. Jesus brings new life from dead places because Jesus can deliver us from death. Now, what does this mean for you and for me this morning? Ultimately, there's two implications that I see. The first and foremost is that this new life that Jesus brings, he brings it to you as a promise of eternal life. The ultimate life beyond this existence to be with God that he paid with through the cross. And the reason I see that is because he is the, the promised Savior. He went to the cross to die for us, and he promised us eternal life in his name. For those who believe in him and trust in him for salvation, you can be saved. You don't have to worry about death 
Death doesn't have to be your final word. Even if your body physically dies, you can go and be with the Lord, passing on into glory. All you need to do is believe on Jesus for salvation. And that's a promise. And so with this girl, like the others that Jesus raised from the dead, and like all the other healings that Jesus performed, these were really just a temporary moment. They were eventually going to physically die again, or ultimately die, just like you and me this morning. Don't go anywhere, y'all, because I love you, and I love getting to know you, so hey. (laughs) But, you know, at some point, we're all going to pass on into glory, or just into the other existence, you know, depending on how things work out. But here we go. So there is that promise, that eternal promise. Now, the other new life that I see is that there is a new life to be experienced in the here and now for you and me. Um, I lived much of my early Christian life um, under the burden, I felt like it was a burden, of uh, Romans chapter 7. It's what I affectionately call uh, the doo-doo chapter because Paul, he writes to the church in Rome and he says, I do what I don't want to do and what I want to do, I don't do. And that there is this body of flesh that's at war with the spirit and I can't help but sin. There's this bent inside of me towards sin that I can't help but do it. And there's this point at the end of Romans 7 where Paul, he writes, what a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, Christ Jesus, my Lord. And Jesus brings deliverance in the here and now. And what I love, what ultimately helped me see the goodness of God is that it doesn't stop there. In the very next chapter, Paul writes, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means that here and now, you can be free. You don't have to sin. Death does not have to define you. The life in Christ can define you. His life in you. Paul goes on to write in Galatians that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so, my friends, there is a new life in Christ. Jesus brings new life from dead places. That was true for you whenever you first said yes to Jesus. If you haven't yet, that opportunity is here for you today also. Come up after service. We'll pray together. But that is there for you, that promise of eternal life and that freedom now. Also, it means that you can live from that place of life and live the full life that God has for you. Because he died on the cross for you and he rose to new life on the third day. And that is good news.
Jesus can deliver us from death. And I believe that that truth is just as relevant for you and I today as it was when we first met Jesus. I was really wrestling yesterday with, so what? I came up with these points. Angie even pointed out, these are really good points. You did a good job. And I'm like, thanks. And I was really wrestling with, why does it even matter? I've known Jesus for a long time. And you might be here today, and you might think, what does it matter? I wake up, I go to sleep. <laughs> you know, I live some life in between those two points. And, you know, eventually there's this point where I'll cross into glory. The resurrection has amazing, extraordinary implications for your life today. Now, I may not know all of what they are, because each one of us is unique and we all have our walk with the Lord, but the good news is that God loves you, He's for you, and He can deliver you. It's not impossible. No one is too far gone that God's love can't reach them. And so, as we come to the table this morning, the metaphorical table, uh, I don't know, I'm still adjusting my, my expectation about, you know, space and in, in this room and everything. Uh, usually there's a communion table. It's up there now. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Forgive me. As we come to the table, we remember what Jesus did for us. We, we take these elements and we, as Paul writes in, to the Corinthians, he says, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat this in remembrance of me. And he gave the cup and he said, this cup is my blood. It's the new covenant in my name for you. And I'm paraphrasing for those of you who think I'm heretical right now. Uh, but I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember it, but uh, completely verbatim. But Jesus, he gave the elements to his disciples and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I did for you. And that invitation is for us this morning. And each and every time we gather together and we celebrate together to remember that Jesus gave his life for you. Yes, he gave it for everybody. He gave it for all, but he gave it for you so that you could have eternal life in his name. And we remember and we celebrate that. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your grace and your kindness towards us. Thank you, God, that you saw our condition, you saw us in our brokenness, and you had compassion, you were moved with love for us to come and rescue us out of our sin and into your wonderful light. Thank you that death does not get the final word, that you do, ultimately, 
Thank you that you bring new life from dead places. So wherever we're at, if we find ourselves in a dead place, God, you can bring us out. You can lift us out. You can take us by the hand and lead us step by step there to this new life in you. And Jesus, thank you that our faith is not in vain. People might laugh at us. They might mock us and say, that's ridiculous. Why would you believe those things? But God, I believe your word is true and your word declares that who the Son sets free is free indeed. And I know, Jesus, that you paid for my sin so that I could be set free. You paid for each and every person here so that they could be set free and that they could live this life with you in full assurance of faith, knowing that when they get to pass in the glory, they get to be with you. And along the way, we get to partner with what you're doing in the world. So God, bless your name this morning. And we ask for your forgiveness for all the times when we did not love you with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, when we didn't love our neighbors as ourselves, and God, when we didn't represent you well to the world, God, we ask, would you forgive us? I thank you, Jesus, that in your word you tell us that those who confess that you are faithful and just to forgive us. And so, Father, I thank you for that assurance of faith and that, that grace and that kindness. Help us to live from that place of life this day forward. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.